so good to see your faces this morning. Um, and I did just want to really just take some time just to, just to build a little bit, and then I want to, I'd love for us to respond. Sorry, and I, I've done a bad job of prepping my AV guy here. And, and really because <laughs> it's been a bit of a crazy like week and night for me as well, um, weekend. But uh, I just, like the Lord had laid something on my heart, and I wasn't sure, even like, like last night, I was like, I, I wasn't gelling. I was like, I don't know where I want to take this thing. But uh, when I look around the room, and I'm like, just seeing so many new faces, and I'm like going, hey, it's so good. Like, I'm looking, and like, so lucky to see some visitors, some re- return visitors, and first-time guys. And I always just love the opportunity just to share around the love of Jesus and what He's done and who He is. And, um, and why we gather together, why we come together. And so if you are with us for the first time, just thank you for joining and just relax. Don't stress about anything. If I do anything weird, my wife's not here to tune me, so it's okay. Too late, too bad. I've got other, other people watching me. Uh, we had such a beautiful wedding yesterday for Marcel and Sean out in Yakelsfle. It was really so lacquer. Uh, most of you, well, some of you guys know them, a young couple in our congregation. We've had a feast of weddings. Uh, William Michaela about three weeks back. So, like, uh, you guys back from honeymoon, back with us. Then Adrian and Mariska in the evening congregation as well. And so, yeah, so we, we're a multi-sided church, just to our visitors. We have a congregation that meets in the evening as well. It's 5 p.m. on a Sunday night. They get together, and that's a totally different looking and flavored church from what you're getting here. This is the... This is the chocolate, they're the vanilla, I don't know, they're the strawberry. But they're very, yeah, differently, and, and that's how Josh Jane's built, is, is we're not multi-meetings, we're multi-congregations. We believe that God has asked us to reach a city effectively by discipling each person one at a time, and you know what, the best way I, we believe we can do that is through multi-sided churches, and so we, we have a number of multi-sided churches in South Africa, and then we're also part of a bigger organization, no, that's terrible, family, sorry, bigger family called 412, and uh, man, we, we have the privilege of building across different cultural barriers, different language barriers, and, and just connecting hearts with churches across the world, and, um, and I actually, there's a, there's a new 412 congregation being planted next week, Sunday night, it's called Benoni Serena Hill Evening Congregation, <laughs> led by the very Mr. Lindsay Jafter. Yeah, how's that? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so a little bit all hot off the press kind of thing. Um, and so I want to ask you guys, and I haven't actually bounced it off the, these guys. I spoke to Dan. Would you release me to go and visit them next Sunday night? Which means I will miss out Sunday morning. <laughs> you want to come with? You're welcome. <laughs> But it means I won't be our next, probably won't be our next week Sunday morning because I, I, Lindsay's a good friend. I've, I've walked a long road with him. And, and he moved to, to Johannesburg uh, a couple of years back to go and be part of the, the team serving there. And, and he's coming to eldership. He's leading there. And they're planning him out into the evening congregation. And, and I just so in my heart long to go and visit and be a part of the service next week Sunday night. And unfortunately, the way the air tickets work, is it lands, the, the flight lands at four o'clock. The, the, there was a lunchtime flight, and it lands at four o'clock, and the meeting starts at four o'clock. And so I was like, ah, oh, how are we going to do that? So I thought about it, and I phoned Monet. I said, but I know I've just been in Malawi for the last two weeks, kind of thing, and I've been back for two weeks, and I want to go again. 
And he's like, yeah, but just teach the church the value of why you're doing that. And that's what I'm wanting to do now quickly. But then I spoke to Dan, and Dan was super encouraging. He was like, bro, God's called you to, to be apostolic into, into nations, and that's part of my, your calling. I was like, oh, come on. And so I, I do believe that God has called me to, to do something of going and encouraging other, other churches and being part of what Andrew's doing across 412 and that. And so I want to be faithful. And so, you know, I want to do these things that cost me as well, you know, and I want to stretch myself. And so, so yeah, so, I mean, we are a church that believes in going. And like I mentioned, I was in Malawi a couple of weeks back and just, um, just being an encouragement and spending time with the churches in, just walking alongside the leaders and loving on them and just seeing guys come to help. And there was just even the testimonies. I think I shared it with the guys on the Friday morning. But we were ministering in, to the one church and the one, and, we, you know, you, you've got cultural and language barriers, and it's hard, and they're Chichewa, and they, Malawi, and they speak Chichewa, we speak English, we've got an interpreter, so everything's a lot slower, and you have to really just simplify your analogies and your language, uh, because a lot of them are uneducated, so we've got to just make it, and, and you know what that's good for, is it makes us make the gospel simple, because sometimes we get so complicated in our language that that even, like, it needs to be understandable to a four-year-old. And, and I think that's what I'm asking the Lord to do in the way I communicate is that I don't, I don't it's not that I um, undermine your intelligence, but I make it in a, such a way that it's just simple and plain and it's the truth. And so even I was sharing with one of the guys, just even the way I'm starting to pray nowadays, I don't know if you notice sometimes when, when I do a salvation prayer, I'm using language that isn't full of Christianese terms. I'm trying to go, you know what, like, like to explain to someone I'm a sinner, I just go, Lord, I've messed up. I messed up. I'm doing things stupidly. I'm doing them my own way in a way that isn't making you happy with me. And I'm disobeying what you've asked of me. That's in a nutshell. So I really want us just to be able to communicate in a way that anyone can understand. So in, we're in Malawi. These two guys respond. I'm going in faith here. Just praying to the God. I don't know what God's doing because I can't say, is the Lord doing something? So, are you feeling the Holy Spirit right now? <laughs> like typical Christian moves kind of thing. I'm just praying. I pull Jonah, to the interpreter, with me and say, but I don't know what God's doing. Will you pray with me? You pray for them. And we heard this last week, that guy was stuck in alcohol addiction. And since we prayed for him, it's been two weeks now, he's been free. I was like, come on. God is doing stuff, you know, and those little stories, those, and even this morning, like we were talking about the physical touch of bodies and God healing, um, I just was celebrating high, and I do, like, I mean, I don't know if you guys have met this man, Stan, I mean, you saw this beautiful face standing next to me, but this man is a walking miracle, because Jesus saved him from a lifestyle that was addict, he was addicted to, tuk, coke, were you on heroin as well, no? Um, yeah, you know, a lot of stuff. I mean, his son's sitting behind him going, that was my dad. Kind of thing. What? But he was. That was years ago. He, he, I remember meeting him in my driveway of my house we had in Cape Town, washing his car, smoking a ciggy, <laughs> washing his car. I was like, who are you? What are you doing in my driveway? So we were renting out a house. We were living in Mossel Bay. He's like, no, I'm, I'm living here now. I'm saying, you are? Okay. <laughs> now I'm Rian's brother. Oh, okay, cool. So we got chatting and and his brother and some other guys had pulled him in to the house, moved down from Bloemfontein kind of thing, and just pulled him into family and loved on him and loved on him. 
And there were times when they wanted to kick him out the house. They were very, they were very strict with him, very hardcore with him. That's why if you find he's hardcore with you, it's because he was, he was, there were guys who were hardcore with him. It's often how it works. When we disciple in such a way, we often disciple others in a way, in that same way. And so he just came through, came through. And they were prayed on to deacon team with us two weeks ago at the gathering. What well, was last week at the gathering? Last Sunday, we had the gathering. Yeah, flip. Last Saturday. It's such a, hey? feels like years ago. There's another gathering coming up in November. <laughs> Headlines. <laughs> so, yeah, so well done. Well done for surrendering your life to Jesus. That's the difference. So, you know, he gave his life to Jesus. That's where it started. He realized that he was going nowhere fast. I'm on the road to nowhere. Sorry, this man has taught me well. <laughs> he sings his preachers almost. <laughs> he was on the road to nowhere fast, as many of us are and have been. Hey, come on, who's there? Who's been on that road to nowhere? Who's on that road to nowhere right now? <laughs> we need to get steered into the right direction. But man, he was on the road to nowhere, on a road of destruction, of self-destruction, actually. That's really what it is. Because you can hurt other people around you, but the person you're hurting the most is yourself. And when you're on that path of self-destruction, man, you leave a wake of mess behind you. And so found, came to a place where someone was bold enough and loved him enough to say to him, Bud, if you don't sort your life out, you're probably going to end up in the grave and spend an eternity separated from God. That was the reality. You know, it's pointless for us to say we love people if we never tell them the truth. We can say, oh, you know, Jesus loves you. I was challenged by something this week. I saw this guy, young, this young guy is preaching the gospel. Uh, no, there, there's a teacher talking about stuff in school. Like there's a scenario. There's a lecturer talking about um, Christianity and religion and that sort of thing. This young student gets up and says, well, sorry, let me retract my, I'm just, the picture's falling into my, play, my mind now as I saw it. This man's getting up and he's preaching the gospel. And it's more like a turn or burn kind of thing. Like, if you don't repent, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell if you don't turn to Jesus. This youngster gets up and says, excuse me, sir, can I stop you for a moment? I don't agree with what you're saying here. The God I know is God of love. And, and God tells us to love one another and to love our brother and to love. And, and he goes on this, 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 this chant and he says, how dare you get up here and make us feel condemned? And this atheist gets up in the background and says, excuse me, I've known you. I've been in, I've been in, um, in school of varsity with you for how long? And you say you love Jesus. If you love Jesus, why have you never told me about this message that if I don't serve him and follow him, I'm going to go to hell? You've, you, you say you've been a Christian all your life, but you've never told me that unless I repent and turn to him, I'm going to go to hell. Do you really love me? So do we love people enough to tell them the truth that if they don't turn around from their sin, the, their bad lifestyle, their bad choices, if they don't turn around from that and follow Jesus and start to live in a way that is pleasing to him, they're actually going to spend eternity separated from him. And that's a long time, eternity, eh? That's a long time. <laughs> eternity is never-ending. It's like, do you, know, do you know the sign for eternity? It's, a, it's an eight on its side, because it's this loop. Never-ending. That's eternity. We're going to spend eternity separated from him unless we surrender our lives to him. Unless we give over and say, you know what, I can't do this alone. And you know, the Bible teaches us that the only way we can have that revelation is through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus sent His Holy Spirit. And, and today we, we, we actually remember that one, 
that, that encounter day, we call it, or it was called Pentecost. You guys heard of it? Anyone never heard of Pentecost? So the word Pentecost doesn't mean anything fancy. <clears throat> it actually means 50. Simply, it just means 50. And it was 50 days after the Passover. It was 50 days after a feast of the Passover. It's also known just, you know, when Jesus was crucified, which we remembered a couple of weeks back. Well, we remembered exactly 50 days ago. When Jesus was crucified, he went to the cross and he died for our sins. That's why he came to this earth. God himself stepped down from heaven, became man to restore man into relationship with him. That's the, basis, that's the basics, in a nutshell, of why Jesus came. To come and save us from ourselves. To help us get back to a place where we can have a relationship with Jesus and, Jesus and God. And that we will never be separated from God. Never be separated from God. We need to have a relationship with a living God. And you know what? Nothing we do will ever get us there. Nothing we do will ever get us there. You know, I was sent to an atheist in my car on Saturday. I'm like, I'm looking for any opportunity to share now. So I go to the, so I'm on, this, I'm on this running group. I'm part of a trail running forum. And this weekend, there was a big, massive event here. I'm sure you might have seen the mutt. Guys were running 160 kilometers in the mountains all weekend and doing stupid things like that and getting hypothermia and doing really, really crazy things. <laughs> And so I'm part of the team that helps put this together and volunteer. And so I was on the media group. And at 5 o'clock Friday morning, a message comes through. Hi, can someone, is there an Uber from the airport? I need to get to the, to the hotel. I was like, well, I'll pick you up. <clears throat> ah, so you should, and I'll get an Uber. No, I'll come and pick you up. So I get in my car, 8 o'clock, shoot down to the airport, pick up the, young, the, the, the chap who's going to MC. So I, I normally stand behind the mic in the events as well. He's also an MC. So we get chatting. He's an MC. Mbulelu, he's a, a young guy from Johannesburg. He's, and we just start chatting. He says, so here's the thing. He says, so what do you do? Oh, thank you. That's great. He says to me, so what do you do? I'm like, okay, now I've got him. Now I've got him. That's the key question. What do you do? So I start to share. And he said, oh, but I'm an atheist, and my mom's very religious. And we just chat, 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 and I start dropping, and I suddenly read, and he says, yeah, but like, everyone's good, and I'm trying to be a good person. And I said, you know what, Mbulelu, the, thing, the difference between you and me is that your good works will never get you into heaven. You can be the most well-behaved little boy in the classroom. <laughs> I didn't say that, but you can be the most well-behaved person. Never smoke a cigarette in your life. Never do drugs in your life. You can never, and, and that was me. Let me just put you right now. That was me as a young man. Never did drugs. Never smoked a cigarette. I drank a little bit. I think I got drunk once. I never slept around. I was a good person. I was good. But you know what? None of that was good enough to get me into heaven. And I just, and he looked at me and said, I said, you Buddhists, they preach being good people. They're like, it's all about being good and being one with nature and doing all this stuff. But I tell you, unless you receive the free gift of salvation, which is, a, which is given to you freely through the work of Jesus Christ, you'll never enter into the kingdom of God. And then I got him to his hotel and he had to get out the car. But I dropped that nugget with him that nothing we can ever do is good enough to get us into the kingdom of God. Our good works are absolutely useless. And you know why I know that? Because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to me. And you know how he reveals it to us? It's not like something like, boom, this, I'm sitting there one day and have this revelation. It's actually by hearing me talk right now. As I'm talking, something of the Holy Spirit is working in your hearts, and he's going, actually, I realize that my good works aren't good enough. And yes, we want to be good people, but it's not about being good. It's about being holy. 
That's more important than being a good person. Because by default, I'm a bad person. If I look around this room, there's some wonderful, good-looking people here. By default, we are all bad people. But it's through the work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ that when we come to Him and surrender to Him, the record is erased. The record of all wrong is erased, wiped clean, and forgotten about. And we, we can come before Him. And so, so when, when Jesus came to the earth, that was His sole purpose, was to bring us as people. Oh, do you want to turn that light off now? I'm going to get epilepsy soon. <laughs> yeah, no. Sorry, we have a problem. I think it's been the, the, the leaking roof or something that's fallen on wires. We need to, who's got, anyone got a long ladder? Long ladder. Have you, have, you got, have you guys got one? Okay, I'll come get it. You as well, eh? We need a long ladder. Anyway, sorry, sidetrack yeah, for a moment. The reality is, where's I going? Get my train of thought here. We need, <laughs> Jesus wipes the slate clean, and it's through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that helps us to keep that slate clean. We can't do anything on our own ability. So when we surrender to Jesus, we meet him on this road as we, as we hear of people, I mean, like, who's had, an, who's had a radical encounter with Jesus kind of thing? Like, just like you were this, when you met him, it suddenly turned you around like that. Anyone here had an incredible, there we go, there we go, a couple of them. Uh, like, like radical, like some of us, yeah, I mean, sorry, Carl, I'm going to pick on you today because I love what God's been doing in your life. Um, but man, we, we suddenly you, you're on this road of self-destruction or even maybe just nominal Christianity, nominal behavior. Like I'm just being a, I'm a good person. I think I'm a good person. I live for myself. I do what I feel is good. I do it as and when I want to. And suddenly someone drops something like me talking this morning or you meet someone and suddenly something inside you goes, realize maybe I'm not such a good person. And that's the Holy Spirit. Maybe I actually, nothing I'm going to do is actually going to get me, that's the Holy Spirit. He just suddenly drops in your heart and suddenly you go, man, actually, I need this Jesus that these guys are talking about. Because I've been doing it this way for so long and it hasn't got me anywhere. It's actually brought me more issues. So maybe there's another way. I don't know what it looks like. And so in the moment when we come to Jesus, and it starts with us repenting. It starts with us realizing, firstly, we've got to admit that we're wrong. I mean, to any alcoholic or drug abuser, Part of the plan is admitting that you got a problem, hey? Hein, you remember. Part of, the pro- part, of admitting, part of getting healed is admitting you got a problem. So I've got a problem here. I need Jesus, hello? I need him. And so there we go. I admit I've got a problem. So how am I going to change the problem? Well, I need to come to him. I need to surrender to him. Jesus, I'm sorry. Because first, I've broken your rules, your laws. I've done things wrong. And so I ask you to forgive me. And you know what? The crazy thing is, in that moment, when you ask for forgiveness, he forgives you like that. Like that. Boom. Forgives you. Isn't that amazing? Like, it doesn't require you to do some funny ceremony, slaughter a cow anymore, or a sheep anymore, or a pigeon anymore. Jesus has paid the price by going on the cross. That's what he did for us. He died on the cross for us, so he paid the price for us all. And he set us free. And so we don't need to go through some ritual or have a priest sprinkling, smelling fragrances or going into a little cubicle and looking through Bragrid and talking to the guy kind of thing. (laughs) We don't need that anymore. We can go straight to Jesus, actually, and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I need you. And, you know, that process is something we all need to do daily. I do it daily. 
Not that I'm constantly sinning, but you know, I'm just going, Jesus, you know, if there's anything I've done today, like I can't even remember that I did. I'm sorry. I need you today. I need you for this day. I need you for tomorrow. I need you. The Bible talks about us finding our faith daily, coming to repentance daily, finding, you know, getting saved daily. It's a daily out, day to day to day outworking. I need Jesus daily. Not just yesterday, not just tomorrow. I need him today. And I can only do that through a revelation of his spirit. His spirit. What, what? There's communications going on here. Am I missing something? And so, you know, and then, so Jesus lived on the earth a couple of hundred years, a couple of thousand years ago. And, and he said in, the, in, in, I think it's in John chapter 14. And I'm going to drop that one on you there. John chapter 14, verses 15. He said there that he couldn't do all the things he wanted to do anymore if he didn't send his Holy Spirit. And so he, and, and this, this is probably the scripture that, that wrecked my life a little bit because I thought I was loving God. I thought I was a good guy. But I realized that if I was disobeying him, I actually wasn't loving him. And I thought I loved God. At the age of about 18, 19, I started to go off the rails a little bit. Not too hectically. I didn't drugs. I didn't, I didn't do. But I started hardening my heart toward God. And I thought I loved him. And he says in John chapter 4, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you keep my commandments. And I, was, and I said I loved him, but I wasn't keeping his commandments. I wasn't obeying him. So I was lying. And the Bible says the father of the lies is the devil. So actually, if the father of lies is the devil, whose son am I? I'm the devil's son. Because I'm not keeping his commandments. Because I, so, don't tell me, so it's basically, don't tell me you love me if you don't obey me and obey my commands. And I used to, my daughter suddenly ducked out because she knows I'm about to use the story. <laughs> when they were young, I used to, we obviously train our children up in the ways of the Lord. So that when they're older, they won't depart from them. And so one of their chores was they had to pick up dog poo. Because we had dogs. And I didn't want a dirty garden. And a smelly garden. So I'd, we'd have, they'd have chores. And so we'd get to bed one night, and I knew they hadn't picked up the dog poo. And I'd go to Becky, Noah, and Christy. And I'd say, you guys, do you love me? I said, oh, Dad, we love you. <laughs> she knows. Daddy, <clears throat> Becky, do you love me? Yes, Daddy, I love you, Daddy. <clears throat> Are you, do, you, do you love me, Bex? Oh, Daddy, I love you. I love you so much, Daddy. She still does. That's why she's here with me today. My little one's in hospital at the moment, not doing well. Becky, uh, Christy. Daddy, I love you. I love you. I said, no, you don't. <gasps> what? She was shocked. She was mortified. Like, no, I do love you, Dad. No, you don't. No, how can you say that about me? I said, because you didn't pick up dog poo. And she said, what? <laughs> what? What do you mean I didn't? That, that doesn't mean I don't love you. I said, can I show you the scripture quickly in the Bible? And she was four or five years old. And I said, let's see what the Bible says about loving God. And I took the scripture out and says, if you love me, this is Jesus talking to me, you will obey my commands. And so, in a sense, yeah, I'm representing Jesus. And so you haven't obeyed my command, so you don't love me. And she was mortified. She was like, they all were. We did it with all of them. Some people were quite shocked that I used that tactic. But you know what? For me, it was installing a value into her heart and in her life of what it meant to obey her heavenly father. Because when he speaks, we need to obey. 
when he speaks, we need to obey. And so when he's tugging at your heart and saying, you need to stop doing that thing, we need to obey. That choice you're making is destroying you. Stop it. That's the Holy Spirit. That's why he came. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit. Because Jesus couldn't be around for eternity. Having someone immortal would have been a bit weird. And he couldn't be in many places at once if Jesus was in the flesh. Eh? Did you ever wonder why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit? I mean, that, that's really the honest truth about it. Yes, he needed to die, but then he, was, he resurrected, he came back. And then he said, I'm going to send my spirit, my helper, my comforter. I can't be around all the time. I can't be this immortal. It'd be like Marvel's next level. Avenger movie, next level. We don't, we, the, he wasn't playing that game. He said, I'm going to send my spirit to be the one who comforts. And, and actually in that moment as well, because Jesus in the flesh could only be in one place at one time. Could only be in one place at one time. And he couldn't be this old bully sitting around, like 2,000 years. That was Jesus. We were going to go to this temple and like stand in a queue to get to him. A bit weird, eh? Like, I, was just like, I was thinking about it this weird. That's quite, quite weird. But Jesus sent his Holy he, he said, I need to ascend. I need to go into heaven. And you need to wait for my Holy Spirit because he's going to be the one that's going to be with you to the ends of the earth, to the end of the age. He's going to be the one that's, because he's actually talking about his own spirit. He's going to be with you to make those right decisions that you can be in the shopping mall behind the counter where no one's looking and a schmuckle that little sweetie, and he's going to be there right next to you going, nah. <laughs> or maybe you're sitting at your desk and you want, to do, you want to fudge the numbers a little bit just so the tax man won't know. And the Holy Spirit's going, nah. Or you're driving your car and a lady walks past in a nice incy-wincy slinky bikini and your eyes, <clears throat> talking to the guys now, <clears throat> you want to look, and the Holy Spirit says, No. Or you're late at night with your girlfriend. It's 10 o'clock. It's cold outside. You've been watching a lack of movie. And you want to just sleep over. And the Holy Spirit says, no. Or you want to tell that little lie. And the Holy Spirit says, no. Lots of things. I can carry on here for a while. It's the Holy Spirit. That's the one that's telling us and keeping us. To live a life that's holy, pleasing, and acceptable to Jesus. And so, over 2,000 years ago, on this day, the Holy Spirit was poured out onto a bunch of men. And you know what? It didn't just stop there. He continues being poured out. There's many other references throughout the book of Acts. Who's, who's taken the time to read the book of Acts once? Keep your hands up. Book of Acts. The whole book of Acts once. Who's read it twice? Put your hands down if you haven't read it. Read it three times. Read it four times. Read it five times. Read it six times. Read it seven times. Read it eight times. Read it ten times. Twenty times. No, no. Why do I, why do I say that? It's because there is so much value in reading that book over and 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 over because it is where the church was birthed. It is where the Holy Spirit was sent. I have been reading the first two chapters over and over and over again and over again, saying, God, what, do, what did you say in this portion? What happened on that day of Pentecost? What happened 2,000 years ago, 50 days after you ascended into heaven? What happened? What was, was, what was it that changed that, that batch of rebels, men, fishermen, uneducated people into an army that literally would take the world by force. What happened? And it was because he sent his Holy Spirit. And you know what? It, didn't, it wasn't just for then. 
It wasn't, and a lot of people say that. If they do, they're wrong. Because it happened a few chapters later with a whole bunch of other people, and then it happened again with a few bunch of other people, and then, like, was it just for that time period? No. It was for us. We're living, in my understanding, we're living in what we term the book of Acts. Until the return, until Jesus comes again. He said, until I come back again, you need my Holy Spirit. And so I believe at the moment of you confessing your sins to the Father, repenting, Turning and serving Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit like that. Did you, did you know that? So when we say to you guys, have you got the Holy Spirit? Have you, have you come to, like, yes, I've, have you got the Holy Spirit? No. No, you have. You just don't know that you got it, actually. It's a bit of a mind bit. That at the moment of salvation, you say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, I need you. Would you come? And take control of my life. And the Bible says he actually his spirit comes inside of us and he gives us his Holy Spirit. Then why? Then you're going, but hang on a sec, but I'm not one of those oaks that does all those weird things. And I'm not one of those guys that does all those other crazy things. But maybe it's because there's areas in your life or, you know what, you're just learning. It's like, a, you know, I said to someone the other day, it's like when we get married. When you get married, let's use this analogy. I just want to make it understandable. When I, met my, when I married my wife, it's like me getting Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now I've got to get to know her really well. Like William McKayla just married. There's many things about her he does not know. He thinks he does, but he doesn't. <laughs> okay, trust me. The longer you get married, the more time you spend with the person, the more time you spend with the person, the better you get to know them. The more you know the things they like, they dislike, the more you know how to anticipate their needs before they make it known. How's that one? Husbands, are you able to anticipate your wife's need before she makes it known to you and meet it? I'll say it slowly. Anticipate your wife's need before she makes it made known and you meet it. That's the definition of caring. And so that is this journey of the Holy Spirit. Is actually the more you get to know Him and encounter Him and the more you allow Him to just, just work in your life. And you know, why, how can I say that with confidence? Well, um, because I just see it in the Bible. That's why I want you to go read the book of Acts. I'm not going to go through the book. I could go through each scripture and say, look what happened here. They met together. And what happened? The, the Holy Spirit came upon them in power. Look what happened here. The ground shook. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had tongues of fire. And how is this one? I don't know if you knew this. But, you know, I always, I'm a bit of a history guy. I love to find co- like references and what's important. So, how's my time? Talking too long, yeah? Am I boring you? No. <laughs> I love history, and so I wanted to find out what's the significance of Pentecost like in terms of the Old Testament and the Jewish feast and all that kind of thing. So obviously, like I said, Passover was the feast of barley, and Pentecost was the feast of weeds. So the start of the harvest at Passover of barley, and then they would start the harvest of weeds at Pentecost. Okay, so it was this period of, I think I've got it right. Just got to, I mean, if, if anyone knows better than me, you're welcome to correct me. So it, was, so it was that period where they celebrated the harvest. But also, I found this out, and some of you might know to read, it was also when they received the law from Moses on Pentecost. A couple of a thousand years before that, in the desert, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He gets the tablets. It was the first. <laughs> I won't be naughty now. <laughs> he got them out the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> the first computer in history. It was a tablet. He got, he got sorry, dad joke, but it was like, no, seriously, did you go there, dad? Kind of thing. 
he got the laws and he brought it down. And what, do you remember what happened in that moment? As he came down, they had built this golden calf and they had started sacrificing and worshiping this golden calf. And he comes down, loses it with them and breaks the tablets. And what happens to those people? They get seriously taken out by the Lord. They get consumed by the Lord. So, so there's this moment in history when they receive the law and over 2,000 years later, I don't know how many years, maybe seven, a lot, lot later, Pentecost comes and there they receive the Holy Spirit, comes on them in tongues of fire. And so instead of being consumed and killed and destroyed in the flesh, they get consumed by the Holy Spirit and their spirits awaken and they come alive. And so that's the moment it happens and you know what? That, can, that continually happens today. They're sitting in this place, and I know a lot of people think it was this little upper room, little room stuck away, you know. And if you read the scripture, it doesn't actually say that. It just says they were gathered together. The upper room was in the chapter before. So and often we join the two and we go, oh, they were in the upper room. They weren't. Well, we don't think they were. Some guys don't think they really were. They were gathered together. And I've heard Andrew's side of the story, which I actually love, and I think I prefer. Actually, my, uh, I think it's beautiful. And they were actually gathered together in an area called Solomon's Colonnade, which is part of the temple. Um, and it was a massive area. Today, it's a bit of a ruin. But they were sitting there. They were worshiping. The, and, you know, because it talks about how there were all these people around them. Have you read the, have you read the second book of Acts or, and they were that, that account? And how they were all, they were actually sitting. They were praying. And they were sitting, they were praying, they were waiting on the Lord. And the next thing, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and tongues of fire separate. And the next thing, they're overwhelmed with joy and with what, like just chaos, chaos, crazy chaos enfolds. And so much so that the people around, so, so you've got to say, so it's, it's not like then they went downstairs and then they started walking the streets. And they were in a, in a, in a place that the crowd suddenly go, hang on, what's going on there? Hey, something's going on there. You can imagine the crowd's rules closer. Hang on, easy. Something's going on here. You know what it's like when there's a bit of a curse? Like, the crowd's, hey, something's going on there. They get there. Like, maybe they saw those tongues of fire, but suddenly they can start hearing people speak in their own language because this is Pentecost. Every Jew, every God-fearing Jew has come to Jerusalem to celebrate, pretty much. So, again, just as, in the, as when Jesus had been crucified a couple of weeks back, now, and remember I shared that at, at, at Palm Sunday, how the, the town had grown to this massive size of maybe two, 3,000 to almost 200,000. Same happens here again. You've got Jews from every single point, corner of the earth. And now they can hear their own, their own. When I say their own language, most good Jews could speak Aramaic. But now suddenly they're hearing them in the language of the region they're from. So you've got Greeks, you've got, you got Jews coming from Greece and from Persia and from all over. So obviously there's different languages. But now they're hearing their own language. And I'm sure that must have pricked their ears a little bit as well. And you know why I say that is because just after that then, Peter gets up and starts preaching to them. And they all, so hang on a sec, if they could hear them in their own language, but Peter addresses them in Aramaic, they could also understand Aramaic. So, so I think the, 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 the attention grabber was the fact that suddenly they were hearing their local language by some other random strangers, and they're like drawn to these guys. Because what is it, when you're in a crowd of people, what happens? 
if I hear, if I'm in a group of English people and I'm Afrikaans, and I hear Afrikaans there, I'm drawn to that side. And it's the Afrikaans, who can I mean, if you were in the, I've heard of the guys in the subway traveling in, in London, and, and the, uh, the guys know, and suddenly they hear an Afrikaans voice there, and they're suddenly drawn. I say, work from South Africa. Yeah, this lacquer. And I can imagine that happened there. They were drawn. It was this, they were drawn to this crowd, because suddenly he's hearing him in Russian. And who speaks Russian? Who was it? <laughs> who was saying the other day they speak Russian? Was it <laughs> one of the Apo guys was talking about it? Hey? Oh, no, it's Lance. Lance talks. He jokes around. He says, I, I talk Russian. <laughs> I talk a little bit of Russian anyway. It was a Malawi joke. So they were drawn. But then, so, so the, crowd gets, the crowd gets pulled. They, go, they start talking. And they, but then they were obviously carrying on a little bit extra wild as well. Because hang on a sec. These actors, they're acting, they're, they're behaving strangely. And so maybe they're drunk. And Peter gets up and addresses the crowd. And I just want to fast forward. Because through that incredible sermon, over 3,000 people come to faith. Come to faith. And then they baptized right then because in that Solomon's colonnade, as it was rigged, the, and how's this done? I'm going to show you something in Scripture. And I'm going to show this out of Ezekiel quickly. That area faced eastward. Steps went down, and there were baptismal pools where they would baptize. Because baptism was part of their rituals, even in the Jewish culture. It was cleansing rituals and all these things. But there were all these pools that were just to the east of, of that area when they were at, okay? So, the, so then 3,000 people get saved. What's the next step? We get baptized. We do it because it's a sign of repentance. It's a sign of faith. The dead is buried and gone and old and the new is here. And so they do it. And so how's this? I'm going to bring it to this scripture and this is going to blow your mind. Ezekiel 47. Let's have a look there. Actually, let's put it up. Can you do it quickly? The whole of... Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. How's that? And water was coming from the throne. I mean, that, that whole picture of the water coming down. And so there's this moment in the New Testament where these guys have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and it flows out and they go and get baptized down there kind of thing. And I love this. There's the water coming up from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Let's carry on. And then he brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside and the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling down from the south side. And then he went eastward and measured. And, and as the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. And then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. So he's actually talking about the, the, the spirit of God here flowing. And so he, he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. And then he measured off another thousand cubits that led me to the water that was up to the waist. And so it's just this beautiful picture that he's painting of how the Holy Spirit moving out. And so basically the start of the stairs, it's only ankle deep. A little bit further down, it's knee deep. A little bit further down, it's waist deep. A little bit further down, he goes, if that measured off another thousand cubits and the river could not be crossed because it had risen up. And so we, and I could not, could not, that no one could cross. And so Sometimes our walk with God's a little bit like this. We're at the top of the stairs. We get saved. We encounter Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and we step into the water that's ankle depth. Just early days kind of thing. And, and so, what it, so we need to have steps of faith, trusting in God, intimacy with Him. And so we move down, like almost like another level kind of thing, where suddenly the water's... And, and, 
maybe, you know, in that process, it can be slow, it can be quick, but I, I, want, to, I'm, I want to jump down into the deep end quickly kind of thing. There's no timeline, but it's just this indication that as we are intimate, and it's just this faithfulness and trusting in God that His Holy Spirit would be poured out. And so using the water and the river is such a beautiful analogy. And as we were praying this morning, I, and even this week leading up, I had this picture of a dam. And, and, and I felt that even for, for the Holy Spirit to be moving, that, that it needs to be a flowing river. And that's really what this picture paints, this flowing river. And it actually flows, it talks about how it flows, to the, it, it flows out to a sea and it's, there's, there's life and there's trees on the banks and there's health and the leaves are there for healing and the fruit and everything, but it's because the river's flowing. And so are we, are we in the river? Are we planted close to the river of God? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to move through us and work in us? And, and, and or are, have we got, and this is what I saw, or have we got damn walls in our lives preventing the Holy Spirit from playing. Who was a kid playing with water? Hey, I love it. Come on, the farmers, the guy. I, I, I lived in Oatsen for a bit. I love the water. I love to play with water. Even if you come to my house, I've, I've built a little canal and I love to let the water flow. But as a kid, we put stones in and we try to block the water and we try to hold it back. And then, and then you take out one stone and the water starts to flow. And surely enough, that water starts to knock out the other stones, knock out the other stones. And suddenly, there's a gush of water flowing. And I felt that even in that this morning, that some of us have got these walls, these brick walls. We've put in, we've put in stones, and we've stopped the flow of the Holy Spirit because we've come to Jesus. Maybe you, firstly, maybe you haven't come to Jesus yet, and you need to trust in Him. And I'm going to lead us in some prayer now. But maybe you have actually come to Jesus before, but you know what? The wall has been built up through so whatever it might be, bad choices, bad decisions, maybe offenses, cynicism, criticism, whatever it might be, you have put, put up a wall, people letting you down, people disappointing you, but maybe you've been hurt and disappointed by people because it's your own fault, actually, and, and you, you've interpreted it that way. Whatever it might be, you have put stones and mud and twigs and just so much junk that the flow of the Spirit is so limited in your life. And so you're actually full of the Holy Spirit, but you are, it's blocked, can't flow. And this morning I really felt that the Lord wanted to come in and block that. Just, and I've, I've, got, I've got all these beautiful pictures. I've seen it. Um, I, I enjoy watching footage of, of um, Waimea Bay. It's a place in, in Hawaii. After heavy rains, the, the sand gets gathered up quite hard. It happens at wilderness as well, but Wami is quite extreme kind of thing. And so they, they come with spades, and at the, the, the distance between the water that's accumulated and the ocean, it's quite a gradient. A few spades, they start digging, and they just, it's a little trickle. And you know what the Bible, uh, I love this, this, this kind of picture. The trickle becomes the stream, becomes the waterfall. You've seen the power of water. It starts to erode. It starts to go it starts to just eat away the sand, and the next thing, you've got this gusher. I remember in 2000, there was a massive flood in the garden route that actually was the reason why we don't have the Otanikuchuchu anymore. Remember that flood, 2000? Those are old enough. Sorry, some of you youngsters might remember. But the reason the Otanikua railway line is now collapsed is because there was such a massive flood here in the region that reshaped a lot of the rivers. And I remember Plettenberg Bay as a kid growing up, going to Plett for many years, sitting on Lookout Beach, Two kilometers, there's the mouth of the river. If you've been to Plett, Lookout Beach, it's on the other side of Lookout Rock. 
And there was the river. And overnight, that river mouth moved three kilometers. Overnight. From down there to right on the rocks at Lookout Beach. Gouged out of a channel. In, and and the, the river mouth down 3Ks historically was maybe about two meters deep at high tide kind of thing on a, on a good tide. Overnight, the depth of the mouth was 30 meters. They, they sounded it 30 meters deep. That's how much sand it just took out. The parking lot was gone. The, there was a house right in, the, in that one part. Remember that one house there? It was like, I think now it's actually got waterfront. Actually, now what's happened, it's funny enough, if you go there now, that beach has come back again. The mouth is another three k's back up the beach. That's when sediment sets in. And so the Holy Spirit wants to come and smack down the, the walls, and want to smack down the rocks that we've put there. He wants to get back to why he saved you, actually. This pure, like this original kind of state. But it's got to start with him, and it's got to start with us just going, firstly admitting that we need him. We need him. And then just going, God, I don't know what this looks like, and I'm not going to put any labels on I'm not going to ask you to start doing anything weird, but I want to ask you to say, Lord, I'm open to you. Because when we do that, in faith, he starts to do something. And I've watched it. I've watched Wilk and Olivia. Also, <laughs> sorry, you caught my eye here. But I've watched them say, God, we're open. We, we, we're open to you doing things. I've watched Ratif. I'm open. I've watched France and Tilla. Lord, we're open. I've watched my own daughter say, Lord, I'm open. I've watched many of you guys saying, I'm just open. I want to be used by the Lord. And you know what? I, I don't even really even want to lay hands on you this morning kind of thing because I want the Lord to come and do a work. I, want to, I just want, all we got to say is, Lord, I want you. And you know what? I live in a perpetual place of saying that. You know that long word? I constantly am saying, Lord, I just want you. I want you. I can't do this without you. I could, but I'll probably mess it up. And you know what? What happens when I do that? And so what is the benefit of that? Quickly, in closing, what is the benefit of allowing him to flow? It's not about anything else other than first it's just being like that tree planted in that river and the actually health happens when your roots are in good nutritious soil health develops you start to bear good fruit areas that maybe were just maybe you used to swear a lot suddenly you find i'm not swearing so much maybe you used to really struggle with your addiction suddenly i don't know when last i had a craving for a segi or a or a whatever or a hit Whatever it might be. Suddenly, yes, I don't know when last I lost my temper. But you know what it is? It starts with you going, Jesus, I need you. I need you to change me. I want to be more like you. I want to be made holy. Because that's what being holy is about, is living a life that is pleasing to him. Suddenly, and it's not to say suddenly you're going to get rich. Because that's a false gospel. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean suddenly all your problems are going to go away. They might get worse for a time. Because suddenly you... you it's like, I realize I'm so frightened. Part of my troubles and problems are me, and I need to change. <laughs> and so just by surrendering him, and so like, Jesus, I need you. Suddenly the way my, my family relates to me is different. Suddenly the way I am at work, my boss is not moaning at me all the time, or I'm not moaning at my staff all the time. Something's different. I, have, have you guys ever noticed that? I've, I've often seen that guy say, something's different. Something's changed. You know, Sean's not here this morning, and I know he won't mind me telling, because part of his testimony, you, you talk to Sean Pritchard, 
And you ask your staff, I was maybe a year or two ago, and who he is today. They don't recognize the man. They don't recognize the man, hey? <laughs> you know, he's shared his story. The Oaks, the Oaks, no. Something's different. Uh, Hein, he's not the same man he was. I'm not the same man I was. Because I've allowed the Holy Spirit just to flow, and he rode away and chip away at the stuff and get rid of it. I'm not going to let him block it up. Not let him block it up. And so that is this morning what I believe the Lord wants to do. And so, you know, what? we're going to spend some time maybe the, the, just in worship again. And we're going to, like, there's, there's no voodoo magic that happens here kind of thing. Like, honestly, this is faith. It's Jesus, the risen king that come and does work. And I, if I look around the room, there's a number of you guys that I don't know. And I don't even know where you're at. But I know that each one of us is asking for something. Tony, you guys want to come up so long. But I know each one of you are, are, are in some way, you need Jesus. And maybe you've tried everything. You've tried it to your best, best ability. And it just has never got right. <clears throat> and so would, can I ask, would, would you like to? Anyone? <laughs> Who's on board? Kind of thing. I want Jesus more. I need him more. I need him more. I do, and, I, and my desire is for us as a people. That he would, and like I said, I mean, I was praying in Malawi for guys. I didn't know. I couldn't be praying the language. I couldn't come alongside them and have all the cushy feelings with them.